Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Years ago, there was a man fresh out of seminary, ready and eager to begin serving his very first appointment in the United Methodist Church. He had taken all of the right classes, he had learned from the very best professors, and was excited about finally embarking on this ministry that he had dreamed about for so long. But all I knew about his church was the name, John Wesley United Methodist Church, and its location, off in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. The young man was so anxious about the appointment that when he first got to town, a few days before that first Sunday, he got into his car and he drove straight to the church. But when he arrived at what he thought was the address, there was no building. He looked around and around, so he just kept driving until he did a U-turn on that old country road, and as he turned back, he finally found a very disheveled-looking old building with the biggest and the most unruly tree he had ever seen blocking the marquee and most of the side of the building. The church needed a lot of work. It needed a new roof, new paint, new everything. It even had a bell tower without a bell in it. But the worst part of the whole thing was that tree. That tree that blocked the view from the road such that he missed it the very first time. And as he sat there, looking at the church, standing on the front lawn... The wheels started clicking in his mind. He thought, maybe, maybe if I take that tree down, maybe if I cut it all the way to the ground, community members will drive by and they'll be able to see this church and the sign perhaps for the first time in years. And maybe, just maybe, on my first Sunday, we'll have a couple extra visitors. So instead of going back to the parsonage to unpack all of his belongings and get settled, he went straight to the box with the word chainsaw. And he went back to John Wesley, United Methodist Church. Hours later, with the sweat dripping from his brow, the young pastor stood proudly in front of the church that was now completely visible from the road, with that old gnarled tree perfectly arranged in neat, even logs stacked in the back. A few days later, the young pastor was sitting in the study at the parsonage, preparing his very first sermon at his very first church when the phone rang. And it was the district superintendent, it was the Dave Roachford of the middle of nowhere, Georgia. And the pastor briefly thought that maybe his boss was calling to congratulate him on his quick wit, his good idea with the tree and this now beautiful and visible church. But no, the DS said, I hope you haven't finished unpacking yet because we're sending you to a different church. You see, the church was called John Wesley United Methodist Church for a reason. Back in the 1730s, John Wesley himself had planted that tree during his mission to the colony of Georgia. And the years after, the community built a church around that tree to commemorate where the founder of the movement once had served. For centuries, the tree stood as a reminder to all of what Wesley stood for. The roots were reminiscent of a need for a deep love of the scriptures, and its shade was loved like the mustard bush from the time of our Lord. And that young, foolish, brazen pastor had chopped it down to the ground. 
We've only chopped down a couple trees since I've been here. And they're mostly in the back and none of you even really noticed, so that's good. Stories are remarkably important. They contain everything about who we were, who we are, and who we can be. Stories held within a community help to shape the ways we interact with one another and how we understand what it means to live in this world. We tell each other stories to make people laugh, to teach lessons, to hold the very nature of life dear to us. Stories are important. I've been saying some version of that sentence in every sermon over the last four years. It's what I started with, and it's what I'm ending with. We are the stories we tell. I sat down this week and I calculated it and I realized that I've preached over 250 times while serving here at St. John's. I've written about as many devotionals. I've traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. I've read countless books. I've even gone to the hospital enough that a few of the security guards will just wave me into the ER without asking who I am. I've gone to more meetings than I thought possible. I compiled annual budgets and thought that we would never, ever meet them. And of course we did, every year. I've led Bible studies that have addressed almost every single book of the Bible. And in all of this, I figured it out. I've written almost a million words. In four years, between the sermons and the studies, the devotionals, the prayers, the chapel times, and the epistle articles, nearly one million words. And in all those million words, in whatever context they appeared, they have been my attempt at saying these few words. We are the stories we tell. I could tell you about the very first time I ever walked into the sanctuary. It was late in the evening on Good Friday in 2013, and no one could figure out how to turn the lights on in the sanctuary. I groped around the building trying to figure out how long it was, what the altar looked like. I didn't even know that we had stained glass windows. I love telling that story because in that story, we all rediscovered the light of Christ that burns so bright that we don't need lights in our sanctuary to see how Christ is alive in our lives. Or as Marshall already did, thanks Marshall, I could tell you the story of the first time I ever led the children's message and I realized that I was closer in age to the kids on the step than most of you in the pews. And I love telling that story. Because in it, we all realize the need for this church to discover its multi-generational gifts. That we need to be friends with one another, whether we're 8 or we're 80. And I'm so grateful that over the last four years, those friendships have started to form. Or I could tell you about how on my very first Sunday, I remember to do everything in the bulletin except for one thing. I forgot to go get those offering plates and hand them to the ushers. And it was good for a refreshing laugh, that first worship service. And I love telling that story too, because in it we learned to stop worrying about the offering plates. We learned to believe that God would provide. And ever since, God has. And I don't want to make this into too big of a thing, but it is really important. For the four years I've been here, we've paid our apportionments in full. We had not done that in 20 years. And that's not because I stood in this pulpit. It's not because Dave Roachford sent me here. It's because you believe that the Lord would provide. And for four years he has. 
We preachers and lay people tell stories in order that they might be remembered. We tell children about George Washington cutting down his tree to teach them to tell the truth. We tell high school students about previous elections from the past so that they might be informed to cast better votes in the future. We tell older adults about what our kids are doing so that they might live through them. We tell stories because we want them to be remembered. But recently I was reading a book by one of my professors from seminary, and she said that a successful sermon is one that isn't remembered. I said, that's awful. I've stood in this pulpit for four years in the hopes that you actually remember what I say. After reading that part of her book, I went through my archives of the 250 sermons I've written, and I came across a bunch I don't even remember. I don't remember writing them. I don't even remember preaching them. A forgotten sermon is successful. It's successful because we need to show up Sunday after Sunday to hear again the story that makes us who we are. If one sermon was capable of proclaiming the entire Bible to tell all that it says, all the life of Jesus, all of God's glory, all of the fellowship of the Spirit, then we would never come back. And our lives would be perfect from then on. But we know that that's not the way the world works And that's not the way our lives work. The goal of preaching, the goal of good storytelling, is the hope that people won't remember what you said. Instead, the goal should be that the next time someone turns to that part of the Bible, it will say a little bit more to him or her than the last time. The purpose of church, of doing this thing called worship, of preaching week after week, is to give the Bible a little more room to shine. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope you won't forget me. I hope you will think back over these last four years with fondness. I'm even bold enough to hope that you'll actually remember some of my sermons. Like the time I dressed up like a donkey. That was a pretty good one. Like the time I broke the service up into four parts to talk about the four parts of worship. The time I sent you out of this room to get to know each other in six different rooms in the church when you talked about your favorite restaurant and stand and your favorite ice cream flavor. I hope you'll remember some of the sermons, but more than that, far more than that, what I really hope, what I really hope for, what I really pray for, is that when you open your Bibles, the story of God with God's people shines a light in your life, regardless of whoever stood and preached in this pulpit. Because today the world is full of stories. Competing narratives vying for our allegiance. And it's almost impossible to go anywhere or do anything without someone or something telling us who you are and whose you are. And Paul, now we're getting back to scripture, Paul dismisses all of it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't let your favorite reality television show dictate how you understand others. Don't let the news channel send you to the corner cowering in fear. Don't let your political proclivities limit your relationships with those who have a different opinion than you do. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Tell the story. Tell the story that is our story. Tell the story about Jesus. Tell the story about God. Tell the story about the spirit of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. Tell the story. Be transformed. God transforms our lives whenever we tell the story. Whenever we're so bold to gather in a place like this. 
We tell that story of God reconciling himself with the world. Because according to the world, the church is between a rock and a hard place. Did you know that the average age of the United Methodist is 58 years old? 58. And I've said this many times, the average person in the United Methodist Church invites another person to church once every 33 years. Those are horrible, horrible statistics. All you have to do is look at a church on a Sunday morning and you can tell that mainline Protestant Christianity in the United States is floundering. People are no longer attending church like they once did. The offering plates feel lighter and lighter in some churches. Christianity has lost its status in the political arena. We're becoming biblically illiterate. And young people are just disappearing from the fabric of church. If you listen to the world, the church is between a rock and a hard place. But I kind of like that. Because Jesus Christ is the rock upon which we stand. We don't have to be conformed to the ways of the world. We, Christians, get to be renewed by the transformation of our minds. By telling the story over and over again. Because Jesus does not work according to the ways of the world. He does not say, bring me your votes and your mortgages and your perfect families. Jesus says, bring me your burdens and I will bring you rest. Jesus does not tell us to earn all we can and save all we can. Jesus says, give away all that you can. Jesus does not say that our religious convictions are private and something to keep to ourselves. Jesus says, go tell it on the mountain. Share the good news. Jesus does not look at our outward appearance and say, you're too fat or you're too short or too tall or too dumb or too slow or too strange. Jesus looks into our very hearts and says, you are mine and I am thine. This church is on the precipice of a great journey. You're about to receive a new pastor. But at the same time, this is nothing new. This is what the church is. It's the place where disciples gather to hear the story over and over again. And frankly, it doesn't matter who's the one telling it. We all have to tell the story. Because the stories of the world will never compare to the actions of God in the world through Jesus Christ. Whether you're a brother or a sister, a mother or a father, a Republican or a Democrat, rich or poor or young or old, none of those things matter. None of them matter when you compare them with what it means to be a disciple. According to the world, the church is in a difficult place. But I'm not worried about any of that. I'm not worried about anything. Because my hope, it's not in me. My hope, it's not in Chuck Cole. My hope isn't even in you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Christ is the solid rock upon which this church stands. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that means the ways of the world crumble away when compared to the foundation made manifest in Jesus. The ways of the world are nothing but sinking sand. They falter and they flounder, they creak and they groan, but God's story never changes. 
So hear these final words, my brothers and sisters. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Keep the faith. Let the story wash over you like the waters of baptism. Feast at this table like the disciples did with Jesus long ago. No matter what, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Tell the story. It has been the greatest privilege of my life being your pastor and telling you the story for a little while. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.